So we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, and we are on Canto 7, Chapter 8, and we are on starting on verse 7 today. And the first um, verse that we're going to look at, let me get my notes here, it would be verse number 10. Okay, so starting with 7. Uh, so Prahlad Maharaj is now speaking. And he says, my dear king, the source of my strength, of which you are asking, is also the source of yours. Indeed, the original source of all kinds of strength is one. He is not only your strength or mine, but the only strength for everyone. Without him, no one can get any strength. Whether moving or non-moving, superior or inferior, everyone, including Lord Brahma, is controlled by the strength of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, so just important to remember that <laughs> um, Krishna is the strength of the strong. And when it says here, you know, including Lord Brahma, that's, you know, well, that doesn't um, maybe ring true for us. We didn't, you know, grow up thinking Lord Brahma is the strongest person. But it would be like, I mean, it wouldn't even be analogous, but just like, you know, saying that uh, uh, Krishna is stronger than, you know, whatever. You know, if we would have said 40 years ago, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, or this or that, right? You know, um, it's actually significant that he's saying that uh, whether moving or not moving, superior, inferior, everyone, including Lord Brahma, is controlled by the strength of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, text 8, who is the Supreme Controller and Time, uh, who is the Supreme Controller and Time Factor, is the power of the senses. So not only is he strength, but he's the power of the senses, the power of the mind, the power of the body, and the vital force of the senses. His influence is unlimited. He is the best of all living entities, the controller of the three modes of material nature. By his own power, he creates this cosmic manifestation, maintains it, and annihilates it. So there's so much philosophy in that one shloka, that one verse, by Talad Maharaj. But he continues, My dear father, please give up your demoniac mentality. Do not discriminate in your heart between enemies and friends. Make your mind equipoise towards everyone. So this is a big topic in the Bhagavatam and in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, becoming equipoise to, and not thinking in terms of friends and enemies. Except for the uncontrolled and misguided mind, there is no enemy within this world. When one sees everyone on the platform of equality, then one comes to the position of worshiping the Lord perfectly. And in text nine, the form, in former times, there were many fools like you. So this is the son talking to the father. Who did not conquer the six enemies that steal away the wealth of the body. These fools were very proud, thinking, I have conquered all enemies in all the ten directions. But if a person in, is victorious toward the six enemies and is equipoised towards all living entities, for him there are no enemies. Enemies are merely imagined by one's ignorance. So the purport says, in this material world, everyone thinks that he has conquered his enemies, not understanding that his enemies are his uncontrolled mind and five senses. Anasastanindriyani, prakriti stani karsati. In this material world, everyone has become a servant of the senses. 
Originally, everyone is a servant of Krishna, but in ignorance, one forgets this. And thus, thus one is engaged in the service of Maya through lusty desires, anger, greed, illusion, madness, and jealousy. Everyone is actually dependent on the reactions of material laws, but still one thinks himself independent, independent and thinks that he has conquered all directions. In conclusion, one who thinks that he has many enemies is an ignorant man, whereas one who is in Krishna consciousness knows that there are no enemies but those within oneself, the uncontrolled mind and senses. So I was thinking this. If one actually understood, you know, if we, well, if we, let me say it differently. Understanding that our greatest enemies are our mind and our uncontrolled senses. Um, what would we practically do if we accept this? Well, I mean, practically, what would we do with our life if we accept this, that uh, there are no enemies but those within the mind and senses? How, what, what, would, what, what should we do if we have that clear understanding? Any thoughts? Well, I could answer it with a question. Oh, great. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I could answer it, but then I don't do it, so it's, my answer is not worth that much. But my rhetorical question is, how many people have actually believed what this is saying, inside or outside uh, Vaishnavism? Actually believe that you don't have any enemies and every, everybody is your friend. Well, well, that's, that's hard. You know, but what do, I think more people <laughs> uh, believe, do accept that, have some experience and do accept that, that within they have enemies. So even uh, John Lennon, he wrote a song that said... Uh, one thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. Yeah, but within is the only place you have enemies, is what it's saying. Mm -hmm. but meaning he, meaning he that... He believes that. <laughs> well, meaning that um, if one sees Krishna everywhere and one sees Krishna's hand in things, one would think, oh, this person is acting as my enemy because of uh, something I may have done to them in a previous life. And they see very philosophically... Uh, you know, because even though someone doesn't think in terms, because we have to learn, uh, study this point about friends and enemies in context. Um, for example, this is being, you know, that doesn't mean that a Kshatriya doesn't uh, fight sometimes, right? Especially if someone sees someone mistreating women or children or something like that. They're not going to say, oh, well, you know, that those women and children shouldn't think in terms of friends and enemies. No, they're going to clobber the guy or you know, take him out or whatever it is, right, to protect innocence. So the, the point is that uh, I'm not this body. And the seeming idea of friends and enemies, it, we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, is pretty much in relationship to this body. That does, now, that doesn't mean that we don't have friends, you know, in Krishna. But the idea, it's, in, it's the concept of, of, make, of, of looking at the world in this way and categorizing everyone, this person's good, this person's bad, this, you know, friends and enemies in that sense. Um, I don't know if I'm saying it as clearly as, I think I said it more clearly a few weeks ago, <laughs> actually. But a lot of it comes down to, you know, what's going on in our mind. So our first um, 
practice, I would suggest, in, 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 in when we see someone, something that we don't like or see someone that doesn't like us, is to, um, you know, think philosophically. Well, I wonder what, you know, if we have some karma from our previous lives that we're thinking this way. Or I wonder if I should try to see things from his or her point of view and try to empathize with them. Uh, and not immediately just categorize them. Okay, enemy, friend. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but the problem is, it's like Krishna is going to kill Hiranyakashipu, right? Hiranyakashipu, yes. Hiranyakashipu. Yeah. But what Krishna is seeing is actually his great devotee. Right. Right? So we can't see that, and even far from it. So Krishna does not even believe that that's his enemy. But even, not only we can't see it, all the demigods were troubled. I think except uh, Shiva actually doesn't see him as an enemy. He sees it very clearly. But the, all the demigods see him as a problem, as an enemy, so they can't even do it. So it shows how difficult it is. I'm uh, impressed that you read the whole chapter. <laughs> very good. Um, yes, that's true. And therefore, what is our hope? And our hope is only that Krishna gives us the vision. Yeah. You know, like, like, uh, words. Yeah. Yeah, some, yes, like, you know, the famous sentence that Prabhupada said that do not be upset at the agent of your karma. So it's a, um, it's kind of like, you know, we, we've talked about this many times to so think philosophically first and then think practically. So philosophically, we try to not categorize people as friends and enemies. Practically, we see someone doing some harm or doing a really stupid thing. And we don't necessarily think they're an enemy, but we try to stop them. You know, you know, uh, a, uh, you know, some multinational corporation that's, you know, polluting the world or something like that. Uh, you know, we, we don't, if, if we, if we were like government regulators or something, we might think, okay, well, you know, this is not my enemy, but I'm still going to try to stop them from polluting the world. <laughs> you know, so there is good, there is um, good and bad in this world. But in terms of our own selves, we try to see people as spirit souls, part and parcel of Krishna. I think, um, actually, logically, uh, the part about... Um, not seeing your enemies as enemies, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, makes a lot of sense. Of course, it's a little bit harder to actually carry it out. Now, for instance, for me, the part that I'm still very emotionally attached to is anything involving Aura, my daughter, you know? Mm -hmm. So I find myself paying a lot of attention these days to like certain things movements going on in the education system and, and whatnot that may affect her going down the line. Some years ago, and, yeah, some years from that, yes. Yeah, um, some of these new theoretical perspectives that are being introduced into, yeah, so I, I you know, for when she does get involved in school and um, and just the whole... I get angry sometimes that I'm not home, you know what I mean? Even though it's like, I kind of know there's some sort of karma or a greater purpose. Maybe it is very difficult to remain detached from something like that. You, you know, you get such a blessing in her 
and then you're stuck away from her. For, it's, it seems like this cruel kind of, I don't know. I mean, I can, but of course I know there's a lot of people out there who got a lot worse than me, but which almost makes it worse because then you're, it makes you angry, you know, I don't right. know how to explain it, you know? Well, you know, and also, um, it's like, it's, you know, we have to be a little careful about another, you know, uh, way the mind works as an, en- as a, uh, as an enemy is, uh, worrying about things we can't control. Like Mark Twain, you know, said that, uh, many terrible things have happened to me in my life. Luckily, most of them never took place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so who knows what the educational system will be when your daughter is that age or if you and your wife decide, to homeschool her, you know, like many devotee children do that, or form a little cooperative, or go to a Montessori school or a Steiner school, which doesn't follow the, you know, the government curriculum. And the, mm-hmm. the cool thing about America is there are uh, there are options, um, which is kind of uh, neat, um, like that. So, but if we, you know, <laughs> how old's your daughter now? Two something. She's uh, three and a half. Oh, she's three and a half. My God, the time flies. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be a couple of years. I mean, you know, kindergarten, you can't, they probably don't get too much into, um, um, teaching, uh, what is it? Critical race theory. Or something. That's exactly, <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly what I was had in mind. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't, well, being, being it's worse than you think because they even had an article recently, uh, that these lear- so-called learning styles like verbal or visual or everything, the theory is really not based on anything. It's probably not right. So uh, <laughs> when you say the theory, you mean, you mean what? The people uh, I've it's not about education theory, not the critical. Yeah. 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 But I mean, the very theory that like 99% of teachers are practicing, it's, they found out it really has no real basis. Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, possible. they found out actually that even somebody who thinks they're a visual learner or a verbal learner oh, that kind depends of it, yeah. on the quality of what they present. So a good mm-hmm. visual, everybody will learn from that. And a well-presented, uh, any kind of multimedia uh, presentation where they have good verbal part, people will learn from that. So this, I have a yeah. lot of with schooling. Schooling is not the answer, Uh but just so she can get along with people in school and become sociable, that's probably yeah. Well, if there's one if there's one thing I've observed, uh, getting back to the CRT thing with dropping whenever I drop her off or pick her up from school. If there's one thing I've observed, it's that kids at that age, the the race of the other kids in that class is, does not even enter their minds. It, it's not even a concept that they have. So if anything, we should be learning from them than yes. <laughs> teaching them about the stuff, you know. And that's right out of the Gita, you know, to to treat, you know, Sama Darshina to see everyone equally. Yeah. So yeah, so it's um it's there's all that's one of the you know challenges in the material world amongst many is education. Mm-hmm. I've always found that the most important thing in education is the teacher. By the way, one last thing. I'm, I'm sorry, keep it. How old was Gopinath when you guys moved to India? He was born there. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I was, I was like really pushing Kinari and her family, especially while I was gone, to only speak Gujarati to her. But I don't think they did it because 
seemed like this perfect time when I wasn't yeah. there where, eh, anyway. Right. Okay, well, at least, uh, hopefully she'll at least pick up Gujarati cooking. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, but it's a powerful thing uh, that the greatest enemy is within. You know, there was a, uh, I think it was a, uh, what, what is that? Uh, uh, the, the cartoon with Hobbes. What is it? Calvin and Hobbes? Is that oh, it? yeah. You know, yeah. And they say, you know, there's one where he says, we have, we have uh, found the enemy and he is us. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's Pogo. Oh, it's Pogo. Okay, Pogo. Sorry. We have met the enemy and he is us. Yeah, so there, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So any other questions, comments? So, so these are lust, anger, greed, illusion, madness, and jealousy. These are the... Uh, the ways that Maya influence us. Okay, anything, uh, Man, David, Nandimuki? No? Okay. All right, let's carry on then. Uh, text 11, and we're going up to 18. Hirani Kashipu replied, You rascal, you're trying to minimize my value. And so this is, this is his reply. You rascal! You're trying to minimize my value as if you were better than me at controlling the senses. This is overintelligent. I can therefore understand that you desire to die at my hands for this kind of nonsensical talk is indulged in by those about to die. And what he's saying is actually true for just about everyone except for his son, Pallad, who's directly protected by Krishna. Oh, most unfortunate Prahlad, you have always described a supreme being other than me, a supreme being who is above everything, who is the controller of everything, and who is all-pervading. But where is he? Is he everywhere? Then why is he not present before me in this pillar? Because you are speaking so much nonsense, I shall now sever your head from your body. Now, let me see your most worshipful God come to protect you. I want to see it. Being possessed with anger, Hiranyakashipu, who was very great in bodily strength, thus chastised his exalted devotee son, Prahlad, with harsh words. Cursing him again and again, Hiranyakashipu took up his sword, got up from his royal throne, and with great anger struck his fist against the column. Then from within the pillar came a fearful sound which appeared to crack the covering of the universe. Oh, my dear Yudhisthira, this sound reached even the abodes of the demigods like Lord Brahma. And when the demigods heard it, they thought, oh, now our planets are being destroyed. While, some, while showing his extraordinary prowess, Hiranyakashipu, who desired to kill his own son, heard that wonderful tumultuous sound which had never been heard, which had never before been heard. Upon hearing the sound, the other leaders of the demons were afraid. None of them could find the origin of that sound in the assembly. To prove th that the statement of his servant, Pallad Maharaj, was substantial. In other words, to prove that the Supreme Lord is present everywhere, even within the pillar of an assembly hall, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Hari, exhibited a wonderful form never before seen. The form was neither that of a man nor that of a lion. Thus the Lord appeared 
in his wonderful form in the assembly hall. When Hiranyakashipu looked all around to find the source of that sound, of the sound, that wonderful form of the Lord, which could not be ascertained by either a man or a lion, emerged from the pillar. In amazement, Hiranyakashipu wondered, what is this creature that is half man, half lion? And in the purport, Prabhupada writes, for a demon, it is certainly wonderful that the form of a, of a lion and the, and the form of a man can be united. Since a demon has no experience of the inconceivable power for which the Supreme Lord is called, quote, all powerful, end quote. Demons cannot understand the omnipotence of the Lord. They simply compare the Lord to one of them. And then a little later, he can do anything and everything. Indeed, he can do whatever he likes. So this is a uh, sometimes a little hard to swallow. What the Lord can do anything he wants? Because from a certain, I mean, from a certain point of view, the um, the protest that who says the Lord can do anything he wants is backward logic. Um, uh, that you know, in other words, is, well, well, the other way around. If, from from a certain theological point of view, someone saying that I'll only accept Krishna consciousness if I can really figure it out and it makes sense to us. I mean that that an intelligent person thinks like that, right? You know, you don't want to blindly follow anything. But from a certain point of view, it's 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 um, it's it's backwards. In other words, if Krishna actually does exist. And then to think, okay, I'm a little jiva. I'm here for you know 80 years, and you know, if I think Krishna exists, then maybe I'll worship him. If not, well, you know, I'm gonna you know take up uh, you know crochet or something. <laughs> you know, uh, meaning that you, I think you get my point. From a certain point of view, uh, it, it's silly. Now I've seen fanatics, uh, fanatical religious people that kind of adopt what I just said. And, and it, it, it comes off as not very nice. It, it, I have, uh, in my work, I think you know my job, people come to me with all kinds of concerns and complaints and, and things like that. So there's this one gentleman who is a Catholic and he, 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 um, he just thinks he's got to preach to everybody at work, which, you know, it's a government facility kind of trying to separate church and state a little bit, right? And so he complains to me and he complains to the, to the secretary of the interior and everybody. Uh, he writes an email to like a hundred people when uh, there was a um, June was LGBTQ week uh, month. Right. And so there was a lot of emails and the secretary wrote something about uh, treating everyone, you know, with equity and, and, uh, and there was, you know, newsletters that came out with, stories of uh of lesbian or gay or queer um um employees and all of this and he was he was just so upset he was just this is demoniac and this is just a bunch of people who don't understand god and he was going on and on and on and i don't think it attracted anyone to catholicism <laughs> uh the way he the way he went about doing it I mean, I can see his point of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into, 
what we what any what religious people should think of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, queer people. That's another time. But um, but the interesting thing is, it, uh, and he might say that about whatever we you know, or let's say a devotee who's like him might say, you know, I can't believe that they're promoting meat eating. This is totally demonia for every hair on the body of the cow. You have to take a birth and, you know, going off like that um, in at work. And you could say, well, he's quoting scriptures. Um, and so one, from one point of view, he has a very good point. And for another point of view, you know, it's, it's, um, it's tricky. So when we read something like this, that the Lord can do anything and everything. He can do whatever he likes. That's true. <laughs> if, if you accept that Krishna is, is God, he, you know, who's going to stop him? Uh, Andy, you going to stop him? If Krishna wants to play the flute and you, you think he'd do better at the clarinet, you know, you, you think he's going to say, Oh, well, Andy did suggest the clarinet. Maybe I should do that. Right. <laughs> you can't, you can't stop him from creating Saturn or, or Mars or whatever, you know. You know, he can do whatever he wants. That's one of the definitions of God. And at the same time, usually that's not the first thing you want to say to an intelligent person. You want to try to convince them intellectually about how it makes sense to accept that that God exists and that God's a person. Um, but it, it is an interesting point that she would probably, you know, he can do anything and everything. And then Prabhupada would tell this story. Um, of this pastime. Uh, so here, I'll read, I'll read it. So he's probably giving a little lecture and he says, uh, Krishna's pastimes cannot be imitated. Krishna married over 16,000 wives and kept them nicely in 16,000 palaces. But an ordinary man cannot even keep one wife nicely. <laughs> it is not that Krishna just spoke so many wonderful things. He also acted wonderfully. We should not believe one thing that Krishna says or does and reject another. If belief is there, it must be full belief. In this regard, there is a story of Narada Muni, who, want, who was once asked by a Brahmana, Oh, you are going to meet the Lord? Will you please ask him when I'm going to get my salvation? All right, Narada agreed, I shall ask. As Narada proceeded, he met a cobbler who was sitting under a tree mending shoes. And the cobbler similarly asked, Oh, you're going to see God? Will you please uh, inquire from him when my salvation will come? When Narada Muni went to the Vaikuntha planets, he fulfilled their desire and asked Krishna about the salvation of the Brahmana and the cobbler. And Krishna replied, After leaving this body, the cobbler shall come here to me. What about the Brahmana? Narada asked. He will have to remain there for many, for a number of births. I do not know when he is coming. Narada Muni was astonished and he finally said, I can't understand the mystery of this. Narayan, uh, Krishna said, when you ask, when they ask you what I am doing in my abode, tell them I am threading the eye of a needle with an elephant. When Narada returned to earth and approached the Brahmana, the Brahmana said, oh, you have seen the Lord. What is he, what was he doing? He was threading the elephant through the eye of a needle, Narada answered. I do not believe such nonsense, the Brahmana replied. Narada could immediately understand that the man had no faith and he was simply a reader of books. Narada then left and went to the cobbler who asked him, Oh, you have seen the Lord? Tell me what he was doing. He was threading an elephant through the eye of a needle, Narada replied. The cobbler began to weep. Oh, my Lord is so wonderful, he can do anything. 
Do you really believe that the Lord can push an elephant through the hole of a needle, Narada asked? Why not, the cobbler said. Of course I believe it. How is that, Narada asked. The cobbler said, you can see that I am sitting under this banyan tree, the cobbler answered. And you can see that so many fruits are falling daily. And in each seed, there is a banyan tree like this one in, in potential. If within a small seed, there could be a big tree like this, is it difficult to accept that the Lord is pushing an elephant through the eyes of the needle? And Prabhupada finishes and says, so this is called faith. It is not a question of blindly believing. There is reason behind belief. If Krishna can put a large tree within so many little seeds, is it so astonishing that he's keeping all the planetary systems floating in space through his energy? Okay, so um, some thoughts about Krishna can um, do anything and what our approach should be to that statement. Some questions or comments on this? Yes, Nandi Mukhi. Oh, by the way, you didn't answer the first question before you asked your question. How many languages do you know? <laughs> uh, two. Okay, very good. Okay, so what's your what comment or question? Uh, just in, in reply to your uh, intriguing questions. I'm thinking about this verse we just covered, the verse 15 where the description goes something like that, uh, like this sound reached even the abodes of the demigods like Lord Brahma. And I think this is wonderful. This is <laughs> wonderful in a sense that um, in the contemporary understanding in physics, uh, like the fastest, the most, uh, yes, the fastest, how to say, uh, things that can travel is light, not sound. Mm. And the speed of sound is kind of like over about 300 meters per second. And the speed of light is three times 10 to the power of eight meter per second. Wow, that's a big difference. And here, yeah, and here is the sound that coming out from the pillar that reach the abode of the Brahma, which is way, way, way beyond uh, whatever observation we could make with the telescope. Mm. And so I think this is really something um, that is cannot be comprehended in in in, uh, in complete just with our uh, observation using the equipment and the senses that we are currently have mm. and how do you understand the sound which travels I, I think it's like here it reached me this verse appeared to me that the sound almost simultaneously when it is get uh, produced in the pillar and it simultaneously reached the boat to the Brahma while at the same time demonstrate great power that the demigods think their boat is going to be destroyed by the sound. Uh -huh. Wow, very nice. Are you a physicist? Uh, no. Oh, no, I was just curious. I, I thought that's, I thought you were, that was physics was your, your PhD. Oh, okay. Thank you. 
<laughs> okay. But thank you for that, Nandimuki. I, I, and what's so wonderful about the Shastra is that, you know, like I just kind of read through that and just, okay, next verse. But, you know, you can almost take any verse and get so much inspiration or meaning out of it. So thank you for uh, pointing that out. Thank yeah. you. Very good. Other comments, questions? Well, I, I'm too not a physics specialist, but I'm interested in it. And you have to remember that even though this is Sanskrit, it's just putting something into a word. The only word, what word are you going to use? So this thing happened and they use the word sound. And, um, you know, how else would they describe it? Maybe it was uh, uh, something to do with particle physics, you know, like uh, <laughs> entanglement, you know, or something. But, uh, you know, they just had to settle for sound, I think. Even in the Sanskrit, well, Sanskrit, yeah, ninada, ninada is a sound, and it's a, what kind of sound? Ati bishana, very fearful, and anda kataham, covering the universe. And how did it? It appeared uh, ash putat appeared to crack. Swadishya upagatam, reaching their respective abodes. Wow. And then Sodhama Aryayam, the destruction of their abodes. <laughs> wow. Okay, anything else? So then let us carry on. Verses 19 to 22. And we're going up to 24. Mm. Hiranyakashipu studied the form of the Lord, trying to decide who the form of Nishinghadev standing before him was. You could just imagine, like, whoa, never seen this before. The Lord's form was extremely fearsome because of his angry eyes, which resembled molten gold. His shiny mane, which expanded the dimensions of his fearful face. His deadly teeth and his razor-sharp tongue, which moved about like a dueling sword. His ears were erect and motionless, and his nostrils and gaping mouth appeared like caves of a mountain. His jaws parted fearfully, and his entire body touched the sky. His neck was very short and thick, his chest broad and his waist thin, and the hairs on his body were as white as the rays of the moon. His arms, which resembled planks of soldiers, spread in all directions as he killed the demons, rogues and atheists with his conch, shell, disc, club, lotus, and other natural weapons. Hiranyakashipu murmured to himself, Lord Vishnu, who possesses great mystic power, has made this plan to kill me, but what is the use of such an attempt? Who can fight with me? Thinking like this and taking up his club, Hiranyakashipu attacked the Lord. Just as a small insect falls forcefully into a fire and the insignificant creature becomes invisible. When Hiranyakashipu attacked the Lord who was full of effulgence, Hiranyakashipu became invisible. This is not at all astonishing for the Lord is always situated in pure goodness. Formerly during creation, he entered the dark universe and illuminated it by his effulgence. So, yeah, Hiranyakashipu was incredibly powerful, incredibly, inconceivably powerful, practically speaking. And yet, he was nothing 
compared to the Lord. Purport, the Lord is situated transcendentally in pure goodness. This material world is generally controlled by tamaguna, the quality of ignorance. But the spiritual world, because of the presence of the Lord and his effulgence, is free from all contamination by darkness, passion, or contaminated goodness. So by sattva, or uh, tama, rajas, or sattva. And a little further on. The Lord appeared because of the bhakti yoga exhibited by Pallad Maharaj. And as soon as the Lord appeared, the influence of Hiranyakashipu's passion and ignorance are vanquished, was vanquished as the Lord's quality of pure goodness or the Brahman effulgence became prominent. So when so whatever the modes of material nature are in the world, when the Lord's presence is there, it immediately comes up to Shuddha Sattva or purified goodness, spiritual goodness. Mm. Now, you know, we've, and we've talked about the modes of material nature so often, but just as a reminder, we especially want to avoid in our consciousness the modes of passion and the modes of ignorance. Um, because in those modes, we get, we get uh, attracted to those, we heard the last verse, lust, anger, greed, jealousy, etc., um, so we want to cultivate the mode of goodness, which means, you know, being kind to other living entities, being clean, being regulated. These are all qualities of the mode of goodness. But we also understand that it's not that those are actually the goal. Those help us in approaching Krishna. When approaching Krishna is the goal. But, uh, but the mode of goodness um, can be helpful when we're, uh, yeah, when we're, as Prabhupada writes, uh, one should be serious about his human life and take to the mode of goodness and in good association, transcend the modes and become situated in Krishna consciousness. That is the aim of life. Mm. So, um, just there's some one other thing I wanted to read. So we are, we are, you know, neither completely controlled by the modes of nature nor completely transcendental, always serving Krishna. We're neither, our foot's in neither of those boats. So uh, we can be considered transcendental by the mercy of the spiritual master who offers our mixed service through the disciplic succession to Krishna. So we become transcendentally situated by our sincere service to Guru and Krishna. Um, but we want to be careful about, uh, you know, thinking too quickly that we've transcended everything. That I'm a Vaishnava. I don't need Prabhupada said Vaishnava is not so easy, or why other uh, is not so easy, or why are they falling down? <laughs> and then it, if you, in the purport in the Gita, Prabhupada writes that as long as the material body exists, there are actions and reactions in the material modes. One has to learn tolerance. This transcendental position is called is achieved in full Krishna consciousness when one is fully dependent dependent on the goodwill of Krishna. So we are always kind of controlled either by Krishna or by the illusory energy, the three modes of material nature. And we know that verse Krishna Surya Sam Maya Haya Andakara, that Godhead is light, nescience is darkness. Where there is Krishna, there is no nescience. But it's also just like, you know, if you've ever been in a river sometimes, the current 
um, sometimes near the banks of the river is stronger than the current in the middle of the river. And Maya, through the modes of material nature, acts stronger on those, sometimes it seems at least, on those who are seeking to escape from the midst of the rushing river of material life. Hmm. Therefore, it's in those dark periods of non-surrender when we are controlled by the modes of material nature. And that makes our position, you know, uh, precarious. So we want to really see how the modes of material nature are working on us, um, cultivate goodness for the purpose of being able to approach uh, Krishna in pure goodness. I'm sorry. So is it almost suggesting that sometimes... um as people become deeper into the philosophy and try to um, extract themselves from material modes, that it can almost seem like the material world is uh, amplifying against them? or, or well, something? I'm Not amplifying, but um, uh, helping us, giving us more of a, look at it positively, giving us more of an impetus to serve Krishna and take shelter of Krishna, um, testing us, you know, just like, uh, yeah, testing makes, Mm -hmm. uh, makes us stronger. Right. From that point of view. Um, just like, I can't, I can't imagine what it was like, but you know, they, uh, you could speak probably better than anyone else on this call that boot camp is no, it's hard (laughs) and it's hard for a reason. Right. Uh, yeah kind of toughen us up and things like that. I mean, I didn't go to boot camp, but I can remember even uh, as a kid, I was just thinking about this the other day. I went to a swimming camp one summer and they pushed us so hard to swim and swim. But it was amazing in just two weeks what I could do that I had no ability to do when I first walked into the camp the, mm-hmm. the first day. It was incredible. I Just in two weeks. Um, and it, I mean, I came, I remember my mother was like shocked. You know, I would come home, uh, like at six o'clock and just like ready to go to sleep. <laughs> you know, I was just totally exhausted. They pushed us, but so it's a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. that it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't know about, you know, if it, it's an example that's given that, that the, uh, the rivers are can sometimes be more dangerous near the edges, and I think I told many of you I, I go for a walk. I'm, I did this morning uh, on the Billy Goat Trail along the Potomac River, and every year so many people drown on the because it looks quite placid sometimes, um, but it, it has all kind of sinkholes. Yeah, the Potomac stuff. is very dangerous. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Yeah, so um, yeah, so does that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Other uh, questions or comments on this point about the modes of material nature vis-a-vis Krishna consciousness and what is said in this uh, <clears throat> in this verse. Okay. Hare uh, Krishna. Yes, Man. Yeah, um, I was can't remember this uh, very well. Amoglila Prabhu was uh, stating one time that um, in the you know people think that Krishna is testing us or the in the beginning uh, we are really being tested by our karma. So our karma is uh, 
you know, tossing us in various directions. And once we uh, get a hold of or understand the modes and we start practicing, then, you know, Maya uh, might say either give us a lot of a prestige or wealth or some other opulence where that would become a test for us yeah. to see how we uh, uh, related to Krishna or, you know, we uh, for, forget that our, our senses or, you know, whatever position, wealth we may get, we use it for our, our own gratification or or if we can relate it to Krishna and uh, start utilizing it in his service. So That's right. Yeah, there's something called, it's called the Taranga Rangani, or enjoying the waves of, uh, of, of some of the byproducts of bhakti. Because sometimes when you become a devotee, uh, um, let's speak of if you're a sannyasi or something, everyone's going, you know, Hare Krishna Maharaj, and, and you know, giving, giving you an envelope with uh, some paisa in it, some money in it, and, and cook, wanting to cook for you, and this and that. And uh, so we have to be careful when that happens, right? Not to think, uh, oh, yes, you're very good that you're serving me. But rather <laughs> like, no, no, you know, if I'm accepting any service, it's on behalf of my guru and on behalf of Krishna. And, um, and I can say, you know, I'm not a sannyasi and I'm not anything, but, I, you know, I'm a little, I've been, in, I've just been, been around many years. And just by that, <laughs> uh, you know, get some respect sometimes. And I just, you know, have to be careful to, um, yeah. And like, like even for myself, so you know, I have a job. I have a, I have an occupation. So when I um, get a donation for doing some service, like if I, you know, gave a, I gave a class um, at a seminar a few months ago, and someone, you know, gave me two hundred fifty dollars. So I just gave that to the temple because, you know, I have a job and I can use that to maintain my yeah. family. And this was, you know, if they're giving me money for speaking about Krishna, it's not because of me. I would, I, if I, you know, I didn't know anything about Krishna until I met Prabhupada and, you know, I mean, came in touch with Krishna consciousness and, 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 you know, so if, you know, that's not really, if just showing some respect towards me, but it's really Krishna <laughs> like that. Now I'm not putting down anyone who, you know, that's that it, their occupation is preaching, and therefore, sometimes when they get a donation, they use it to take care of their, you know, needs. That's that's not my point. But in my situation, it was different. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, so but we do have to be. Uh, but the other the other thing that's interesting, man, is that you know, you we don't have, look, we don't we don't have to be a, uh, in the movement for forty years. A, a pauper can be proud of his penny. Yeah. <laughs> so we can be proud of anything. You know, we, we anything. We, you know, uh, so we it can affect anyone. That's the point. Yeah, but uh, we do have to be uh, on our toes because that you know Maya means illusion, and another name for Ma another interpretation of the word Maya is mercy. Because if we didn't get tested, if we didn't get pushed, um, we might become very complacent, right? And when we uh, get some testing tests and we pass them. We feel good, and we we get closer to Krishna. The good thing is that even if we fail some tests, we don't worry. There'll be another exam. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We have to understand if we fail something, it's really right. 
to help us. Sometimes failures help us more than success does. We often learn a lot from our failures. Yeah. 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 Not that we should purposely go out and fail, no. but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, pretty much the material world has a way of uh, humbling everybody. Mm-hmm. Even, uh, as Prabhupada said, you know, you, you can pay obeisances to Krishna now voluntarily, or we all have to pay obeisances at the time of death. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Prabhu. Sure. From uh, Moga Lila. Uh, Moga Lila? I think he's a Delhi based. Yeah, I know. I, I, no, get, I, I get uh, YouTube links, they come up and so on. Like, okay, it's in Hindi it. usually, yeah? Yeah, it's in Hindi usually. Yeah. 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 yeah he's a very nice devotee. I think yeah. he's in Dwarka, the. Uh, the suburb of Delhi okay. called Dwarka, not Dwarka, Dwarka. Dwarka. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else? Okay, then let's tell. Question, oh, yes, Nanima. Uh, just a quick comment. I think uh, this verse is interesting. Interestingly, that it seems that the level of spiritual effulgence is proportionate to the level of how much you're situated in pure goodness. Mm. The, the Lord, Krishna, he is always in pure goodness and the levels of spiritual effulgence of him is so much so that Hiranyakashipu will become invisible just in his presence. Mm. Yes. Yeah, well, the Brahma Jyoti is considered the rays of emanating from Krishna's body. Yes, so that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because especially, I don't know if we'll get to it today, but uh, uh, Andy made reference to the different demigods who are praying to to uh, to, to Lord Nishingadev. And they were just talking about what a what a pain in the neck, Hiranyakashi, but that's an understatement. But he was so powerful and so influential. And then, like you said, he, he, you could practically invisible in, in comparison to Krishna. So then, you know, the, a smart devotee would think, and what to speak of me? <laughs> you know, I think I'm so smart, or I'm so this, or so attractive, or so rich, or so this or that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. The comparison is, is comical in one sense. So thank you for that, Nanimoki. Okay, so now we're on text uh, 25, and we're going up to, get my notes here, 27. Oh, not very far. Okay. They're connected in some ways, these verses, uh, 25. So 25. Thereafter, the great demon Hiranyakashipu, who was extremely angry, swiftly attacked Nishingadev with his club and began to beat him. Lord Nishingadev, however, captured the great demon along with his club, just as Garuda might capture a great snake. O Yudhishthira, great son of Bharata, when Lord Nishingadev gave Hiranyakashipu a chance to slip from his hand, just as Garuda sometimes plays with a snake and lets it slip from his mouth, the demigods, who had lost their abodes and were hiding behind the clouds for fear of the demon, did not consider this that incident very good. Indeed, they were perturbed. Krishna does this sometimes. <laughs> he, you know, he... Uh, it looked like he was being captured by the uh, by the coils of Kaliya. And just for a few minutes, it looks like he's maybe in trouble. And then it's just like, forget it. <laughs> Can I um, say something here? Uh, yeah. I, I really um, liked 
this verse and the way that, um, you know, the purport. Uh, one of the things, honestly, that um, kind of, you know, when I met Canary, made the philosophy interesting and, and credible and attractive to me was the fact that it identifies that we do live in a dark world. And this was kind of vindicating for me in a way because for a large portion of my life, I had just seen the world does have a lot of darkness. We watched these movies growing up and the good guy always wins. And then I would observe real life. And I'm sorry, that just doesn't seem to be the case, you know? <laughs> and, um, but as I became um, more, you know, uh, reading more and whatnot, and you learn about karma, you realize that, first of all, some of these sort of bad guys, for lack of a better term, that we see who just keep on winning, whether it's, you know, these clear Wall Street crooks or, you know, rentier, right. um, people involved in rentier arrangements. Um, now rent, you see rent, them what almost... Rentier? Huh? What was that? Rentier? Rentier. That like people who are extracting wealth from the system while providing nothing to it. Oh, so it. the most classical sense, and I'm not saying that everyone who rents out property, because I do, but, uh, you know, that's a rentier arrangement, especially when you consider it within the framework of a feudal system. Right, right. Um, but anyway, um, before I ever actually even reading this, I almost, you know, we all know how, like, karma is, even when you're getting it, in, in a good way, it's actually kind of illusory because all you're doing is either detracting from your positive register of good karma That's right. or even or even going into deficit. So when you look at it in a more cosmic sense, these guys are first of all, they're they're pawns that Krishna's using in order to maintain this material world which which, let's face it, is not designed to be enjoyable for us all the time. And at the same time, like, this may be a dark way of thinking, but whatever whatever pleasures they're extracting at this moment is only increasing their future debt that will be repaid at some point, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of what he is alluding to here in this sort of tale where the... Yeah. You know, he yeah. kind of let he kind of lets him get away and enjoy himself for a while. But well, that that's really cool. Why don't we go on to the next? Because the next verse exactly is the one that uh, right. that brings us up. So thank you. You mm -hmm. gave us uh, coming attractions. Uh, so the next verse: When Hiranyakashipu was freed from the hands of Nishingadev, he falsely thought that the Lord was afraid of his prowess. Therefore, after taking a little rest from the fight, he took up his sword and shield and again attacked the Lord with great force. Purport. When a sinful man enjoys material facilities, foolish people sometimes think, how is it that this sinful man is enjoying, whereas a pious man is suffering? By the will of the Supreme, a sinful man is sometimes given the chance to enjoy the material world as if he were not under the clutches of material nature, just so that he may be fooled. A sinful man who acts against the laws of nature must be punished, but sometimes he is given a chance to play exactly like Hiranyakashipu when he was released from the hands of Nishingadev. 
Hiranyakashipu was destined to be ultimately killed by Nishingade, but just to see the fun, the Lord gave him a chance to slip from his hands. So this, um, just as you're saying, it's, it's a very interesting point. To, this applies, um, nobody gets away with nothing, as, as the word said. And you can think you're flying high, but, you know, uh, it's just like when you jump, if you, somebody jumps out of a window, you actually go up for a few seconds before you go crashing down, right? <laughs> it's a little bit uh, like that. And I was thinking how this applies not only individually, but even to uh, uh, countries and dynasties. You know, um, you know we're, we, we, especially if you're my age, you're, you're, maybe it's a little different now, but my age, you know, growing up, or maybe even, even my brother's age, my brother's six years younger, uh, older than me, um, you know, America was the cat's meow, right? It was after World War II, it was, you know, and especially after uh, Glasnost, it was the only superpower, right? After, uh, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, and, and you know, we people think that way. And of course, you know, there's a lot of talk and one of the things that may kind of separate people in this country is people who still think that way and people who don't think that way. That's another, you know, we're not getting into the details, but, uh, but when you're, so another, you know, America's only been kind of a, a serious power. I, I was, did a little research, like from 1896, something happened then that started, started the trend, uh, in, in the direction that it's in. But when you think about it, that's only 120 years. And, and some of the dynasties, you know, the, 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 the British empire, the Holy Roman empire, the, the, the various empires uh, um, lasted a lot longer than that. And, but when you're in the middle of it, you think, you know, yeah, the British Empire, imagine, you know, they had, they had India, they had so many parts of Africa, right? Uh, I mean, they were all over the world, Australia, New Zealand. It was an incredible. And, and so uh, if you were a Brit at that time growing up, you just thought, you know, we are, we are it. Or the Roman Empire lasted a lot longer, or the Ottoman Empire, or, you know, go through history. Um, but the reality is they didn't, they didn't last forever. So it's a little, so in other words, this, this principle can be applied to a person who seems to like make a lot of money by cheating people and this and that, or it could even apply to a, uh, a country or an empire, right? They, the time factor, uh, Brings us all, you know, dust this, dust the ashes to ashes, dust to dust, kind of thing. Um, it, it happens to all. And what's interesting is that it seems sometimes that devotees go through hard times. Srila Prabhupada had two heart attacks on the way over to America. Um, the Pandavas were, you know, people try <laughs> their own cousins tried to kill them in so many different ways. And sometimes it's said that this is there to glorify the devotee. To you know, wow, Prabhupada had no money. It's not like he flew over to America on business class. You know, he took a, a, a steamship and, and had heart attacks. And it, it, in one sense, it glorifies the devotee to see how they went through difficult times. When what speak of what happened to Jesus Christ or, uh, or Haridas Thakur, uh, like that. So you can't, uh, always judge things by the here and now and what's happening, but yeah, kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture and know that, you know, Krishna has a plan or that. Yeah. But you could, you can think like that, that, you know, 
gosh, how is America still doing well? There's so much animal slaughter. There's so much alcoholism. There's so many drugs. There's so many, uh, you know, internal fighting. There's uh, so many abortions. You know, all the things you could think of that would bring bad karma. Um, you say, well, how, why isn't anything happening? We don't know, you know, timing and Christians will. And the other thing is that America also has some piety, right? What is it? 93% of Americans believe in God and things like that. So it's, uh, there's so many things going on. And, um, and I just thought that this was an interesting, interesting purport. Some, some thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was shocked uh, when we were traveling and I think it was Denmark and they said that only I can't remember if it, uh, if it was only 3% believed in God. I think maybe it was only 3% actually were involved in a, you know, religion or in, in the, you know, the practice of religion. It was, you know, pretty shocking. Uh, yeah, well, that is pretty shocking. <laughs> well, there's a time lag between, you know, we have studied that uh, our Kuta, Bija, and... Um, yeah. I remember, so uh, karma, sometimes it's not manifest yet. So it, one story I'd heard as a child was that this one man who was very pious, you know, uh, pious, religious. So but by the time he got to his 50s, he ended up meeting a pimp and then started things started going downhill. His current life ended next life he started where he left off and he got away with many bad things but eventually all the piety that he had earned was gone mm. and you know he was put away and then on the other hand there was another man who was a mixed bag not uh, following religiosity engaging in sinful activities one day by chance he ends up meeting a sadhu and he, he his goal is to kind of um, take rob off of his personal effects. You know, some even a sadhu may have a watch or some some ring or something. So he wanted to just say, "Okay, well, I'm going to uh, find my time and uh, take all that just whatever personal possessions that he has." But uh, before he could do that, he ends up hearing him, and his consciousness changes slowly. And then, then, you know, his current life ends. The next life, he is blamed for many things he hasn't done and um, so forth. Eventually, his bad karma is gone and people recognize him. They're saying, you know, you, it was, this guy was a, such a gentle soul and we were blaming him unnecessarily. He, <laughs> so so there's this time lag of our karma. And That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, in the Bhakti Shastri, we... You had explained the Kuta stage, the Bija. You had shown this whole chart of how our karma uh, affects us. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very intricate, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, tricky, and and that's tricky, a good yeah. point that it's there's sometimes a delay in the reactions, and yeah, it's it's just like it's compared to a banyan tree in the Bhagavad Gita. That is, and if you ever been to like in Calcutta, they have this banyan tree that takes over an acre, because you know the, the root, the the branches become roots, and 
and it can be get even very dark there sometimes if you're in the middle of the banyan tree, even though it's sunny, sunny outside. So yes, it's karma is is a complicated thing. And that's, you said it takes up over an acre. Yeah. Wow. Are you talking about the root system or the actual? No. Well, if, 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 I guess you've never, maybe you haven't seen an ashwata or a banyan tree, but um, the the branches go downwards and they go into the ground and create like another root. And it's very hard wow. to even know what the original root is. It's it's really uh, yeah yeah. I I hope we get to go to India, India not too far from now. Um, it's 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 um, yeah. It's I'm trying to look at uh, up some images to to show oh, you, yeah. but. Uh, Oh, I can Google it. Oh, oh, yeah. Banyan. But um, you, get, you get some ideas from here. Hold on, I got it. Um, you can see wow, that. Wow, interesting. So yeah. this, this is, a, if you can see with my cursor, the, and this is just a small part. This can go on for acres. This is kind of been trimmed and everything, so you don't really notice uh -huh. it here. Yeah. But here, the, here, like the branches are going down and down, and it can be very... Um, there's one in Calcutta that's huge and just, yeah, it's very. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I've seen these, um, especially around like temples. I think I've, there's a lot of this, like an Angkor Wat. Or yeah. Whatever. There might be an Angkor Wat. Uh, I wouldn't and, be surprised. Uh, yeah. So Banyan tree. And it's the example Krishna uses in the Gita, the 15th chapter, mm -hmm. the first, the first three or the first five verses. Um, yeah. So, but the point is that, yes, it's a complicated world. And therefore, it's... And the only way to get out of it is actually to simplify our heart and have bhakti or devotion to, to Krishna. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's interesting that you can deal with the complexity with simplicity <laughs> in some ways. Uh, Andy, you seem to nod your head on that one. Yeah. Well, something that's interesting about karma... Uh, the Shaivite uh, guru, Sadguru, pointed out that you're constantly generating karma. It's just action. So just when your heart is beating and you're breathing, that's karma. That's action. And uh, if you could just get some distance from your mind, you're like the eraser is going. You're generating good karma just by living. So this country, just by having a good justice system, you'd rather be arrested than probably in this country than in a lot of other countries right? because it's, it's very fair. So just by doing and operating as a country, that's also good karma is being generated despite all the alcoholism and debauchery and everything. Well, it's a bad, it's a, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a good give and take. But the, the best thing is to be, do activities that are a karma. And this is Krishna explains in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita that there's, um, it gets a little technical, but the karma sometimes refers to pious activities following the Vedas that give you good material results. And then V karma are bad activities, right? You know, one, you know, eating meat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then a karma means no karma is devotional activities where it's just, where it's, um, it's not of this world. Bhakti is not part of this world. It's our relationship with God. And it simultaneously doesn't give any further karma. And it starts dissolving our previous karmas, just like in this verse that we read, when the Lord is present, 
then the Suda, the pure goodness manifests like that. So, uh, and, and it takes some intelligence to know what is karma, what is vikarma, and what is akarma. Yeah. Okay, so let's do uh, two more verses then, because um, they're kind of, they're somewhat related, tw uh, 28 and 29. Um, making a sound shrill, making a loud shrill sound of laughter. The Supreme Personality of God at Narayan, who is extremely strong and powerful, captured Hiranyakashipu, who is protecting, protecting himself, himself with his sword and shield, leaving no gaps open. With the speed of a hawk, Hiranyakashipu moves sometimes in the sky and sometimes on earth, his eyes closed because of fear of Dave's laughter. As a snake captures a mouse, or Garuda captures a very venomous snake, Lord Nishingadev captured Hiranyakashipu, who could not be pierced even by the thunderbolt of Indra, that's significant. Uh, he was very strong. <laughs> As Hiranyakashipu moved his limbs here and there and all around, very much afflicted at being captured, Lord Nishingade placed the demon on his lap, supporting him with his thighs, and in the doorway of the assembly hall, the Lord very easily tore the demon to pieces with his nails and hand. And I just, I'm just going to read a few half of sentences that all say the same thing. Purport, Prabhupada says, therefore to keep the promise of Lord Brahma intact, therefore to keep the, this promise of Lord Brahma, therefore just to keep the word of Lord Brahma, Lord Nishingade paradoxically but very easily killed the great demon Hiranyakashipu. So he, the Lord acted in this way to protect the word of his devotee Lord Brahma. Because Lord Brahma had Given the Lord, given Krishna a hard task. Okay, how are you going to kill this guy if he can't be killed inside or outside? Not in the day, not at night, not by a human, not by an animal. Uh, did I miss some? Not by a weapon, right? <laughs> so he had to be very creative to uh, figure out how to. Also, how to, not by anything living. It's uh, like claws aren't really all oh, right, 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 completely right. alive or dead. Yeah, or dead. Yeah. yeah, very good. So he figured this all, he did this. And why did he go to all that trouble instead of just, you know, taking his suitors on chakra and, you know, um, to preserve the word of his devotee. So this, so one thing we can get out of this is just the intimate relationship that Krishna has with, uh, well, with his great devotee, but even with us as we make attempts to become great devotees. Um, it's very, it's kind of, it's very inspiring, actually, this purport. If you look at it through that lens, that he was just trying, you know, he just did this. He went out of his way, as we would say in America. He went out of his way to uh, preserve the word of, of Lord Brahma. And it's kind of like, you know, um, he, uh, when he, when he, uh, took up the wheel to attack Bhishmadev in the battle of Kurukshetra. And Krishna had promised, I'm not going to take any, I'm not going to actually fight. But Bhishmadev had taken a vow that I'm going to either force Krishna to break his vow or I will kill Arjuna in the battle today. So Krishna didn't care so much about his word. He wanted to keep the word of Bhishma and protect Arjuna. So he was even willing to break his word 
in order to protect the word of his devotee. And therefore, the famous verse in Bhagavad Gita where he says, He said, Arjuna, you tell the world that Krishna's devotee will not perish. He said, they don't always believe me. <laughs> he said, but I always protect the word of my devotee. So he said, Konteya, which is a name for uh, Arjuna. He said, Konteya, you, you do that. You do that. So, uh, so very intimate uh, connection between Krishna and his devotees and trying to protect the words of Krishna's devotees. It's like uh, when there was all this trouble. It's a great, great book uh, that just came out recently by Giriraj Swami on the struggle to get the Juhu property, the temple in Mumbai. Um, and at one point, it was really hard that people were against it. The municipality was giving them trouble. Some very influential people were trying to stop it. And, and uh, uh Prabhupada went up to the deities and said, you know, um, I'm so, you know, I'm so sorry we're worshiping you in this little, you know, like a hut. But, you know, if you, if you let us, if you, if you let us get this land, I promise to build you a beautiful temple. <laughs> so uh, Krishna allowed Prabhupada to keep his word. He built a beautiful temple <laughs> in Mumbai. So some thoughts on this? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, Dandimuki. Yes, just I think in connection with the previous point we're trying to make. Yes, uh, they're connected, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, I think like whatever the external situations may appear in our eyes, it does not imply that the Supreme discriminate or treat somebody unfairly. Okay. Yes. You want to elaborate more on that? Uh, no, just a reflection. Okay. That's a very nice reflection. Thank you. And your comments today are so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. it's uh, and, and there is a connection, isn't it, that, uh, you know, that the Lord keeps the promises of a devotee. And uh, sometimes the devotees go through hard times to glorify the Lord. There, you know, there's some, some connection there. Yes. Yeah. So we don't lose our dedication. Right. Right. So yeah, that's oh, chapter nine. Yeah, chapter nine. Prati jani hi name So declare it boldly that my devotee never per perishes. Mm. That I think is verse maybe thirty-two. I think nine thirty-two, nine thirty-three. No, it's got to be nine thirty-one or nine thirty-two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's a very important verse. Uh, yes. So, um, since you're asking, let's see, 29 is uh, I'm equal to everyone. No one is, uh, uh, but whoever worships me with devotion, I'm a friend to him. And then the next one is even if one commits most abominable activities, that's thirty. And then and then the next one, yes. Shitram Bhavati Tarmatma Sach Bhat Chantim Nikachati Kontaya Pratijanihi Name Bhakti Uh so if a devotee does something terrible, 
he quickly becomes righteous and attains everlasting lasting peace. O son of Kunti, declare boldly that my devotee never perishes. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. So that was uh, 31. Okay, so our time is up for this week. So next week we will start by going over 34, 40, and 53. And then we will go into um, the, uh, I think it's the last chapter in the Prahlad Nishinga Leela. Um, that Prahlad, uh, no, no, there's, there's two more. Um, Prahlad pacifies Lord Nishinga Dave with prayers. So we'll uh, be looking at Lord, uh, Prahlad Maharaj's prayers next week. So thank you very, very much. Nice to be with you on this Sunday morning. Thank you. Especially early for you, Dean. And uh, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.